Here we are at the September 10th, 2015 meeting of the Science Fiction Club, um, and we are discussing a book called Edge of Dark by Brenda Cooper. And we will just go around and whoever gets in, and we'll all eventually get our voices in as to what we thought of this book. So whoever starts first. Well, I may as well start. I read this about three weeks ago, and I reviewed the last couple of chapters a couple of days ago. And for me, this book, I guess the story was okay, but what I remember the most is my impressions of how people reacted to transhumans, to um, AIs that had never been human before, to humans who didn't like the transhumans, didn't like the AIs at all. And to me, it wasn't so much a story as it was a study of how people react to change. And that's basically what I got out of it. I can't remember much of the story, but I do remember especially Crystal and her ways of not so much before she had the transition done to her, but afterward. So it was... That's what it was for me. It was more of an intellectual exercise more than anything else. I really liked the book. I thought it was very good. I liked the descriptions of the planet, of uh, whatever the name of the planet was, or what I forgot, and Charlie. I thought the characters were very well drawn. Car- uh, Charlie and that his pet, Cricket, was, was cute. And I would say the descriptions of the planet. And then, of course, the whole interaction between the humans, the fear that they had... Of the of the of these uh, robots calling them in the beginning ice pirates, and then um, gradually, you know, when they took over, when 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 they invaded and took over that space station and killed most of the people, and and did have uh, and had uh, Crystal and her friends converted from human. Actually, they were killed and then reborn in in robot bodies, I guess. And then the interactions there. So I, I thought the book had a lot of a lot of very interesting aspects to it. I'm really enjoying it. I just started reading it today, I'm embarrassed to say. I got caught flat-footed this time and somehow or other didn't get the notice that today was the day of the meeting until today. So I started reading the book today. But I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm just about to the place where Crystal does get converted. I've, I've been just past that is where I am. And I'm really enjoying it, so I'm looking forward to finishing the book. I actually, I like the book, but in reality, it's really scary because Crystal and her family had no choice. Like she said, I have no choice. I can't cry. I can't laugh. I can't do anything. That is scary. Well, we... uh we were a little disappointed in the book. Um, it had some moments, but um, a couple of things. First of all, from the so- from the synopsis that I read and the reviews that I read, it looked like the the next were going to be more sympathetic. But I mean, when as soon as they come into the station, they start killing everybody who's injured or doesn't cooperate or who is a children and. And so she's setting them up as the bad guys right off the bat. So how are we supposed to be sympathetic toward them? Because 
the whole idea was that they're a different form of life. They have just as much right, you know, they're in silicon or whatever, but they're not, you know, they don't have any lesser. Yeah, but then you make them into these, you know, people who are killing everybody who doesn't cooperate and then forcing the rest to undergo, you know, that doesn't make them very sympathetic. Second of all, though, was something we uh, noticed all through the book, and that is the writing. We didn't think the writing was very good at all. The problem is that it's such it was written at such a young level. Like we we laughed a few times because at one point I think it was Jason or, or one of them says uh, to Crystal or whoever we think you should leave us and run away. And then another point Crystal says you know if you are used to you know when she's on the ship talking as her the ambassador of the next she says. If you are useful to the next, or if they perceive you as useful, then you can come out and play. And those were just kind of the most dramatic. But, but the whole book was written at a real low level, it felt like. Um, I mean, uh, we just thought that the writing was really kind of grade school level. It's, what's that? She used alliteration. She used alliteration. Oh, yeah. Let's see. was really tuned into that, and I noticed it, too. But... She was alliterative, constant. It was, it was, it was pervasive, the alliteration. But, you know, it, as I said, it did have some moments. I mean, I thought Crystal's, you know, uh, on the ship with the Shining Revolution, you know, that was uh, interesting. And, you know, then, of course, I think these Shining Revolution people shot themselves in the foot because she looked a lot more sympathetic on the screen than just a mere machine would have, you know, a mere piece of you know, a, a printer or, a, or a whatever. Um, so, uh, but but overall, we, we, we liked it okay, I guess. Would that be okay to say, sweetie? Yeah. It was okay, but I was really disappointed. I think another, uh, in, in the hands of a different author, this the same story could have been much, much better. But we were never bored. We were never bored, that's true. We were never bored, but they did talk and talk and talk a lot. That's <laughs> for sure. I remember in the chapters in the 50s and 60s, we just kept wondering when something was going to happen, but they were just kind of talking and talking. But, yeah, we weren't bored. It was okay. I'd give it three stars, three and a half at most, but um, that's what we thought, basically. Yeah, I think three stars sums it up for me, too. I, I started out thinking I was really not going to like it because immediately, you know, there's going to be this romance between Charlie and Nana. It's like that, to me, is so tiresome. And then he takes her. She's paying him as a guide. And the first place they stop at this waterfall, he can't get out and go with her because he brought his pet. I mean, that seemed kind of weird. And then she wants to insist on going into this city that he says is dangerous. And those all seemed such, that just seemed such cliche. But as the book went on, I really, really liked the way the author captured the affection between Crystal, Jason, Yee, and Catherine. I thought that was really nicely done without being overly done. And I like the ending. I'm sorry, Deb, but I like the fact that there was compromise and nobody got entirely what they wanted. I thought that was a nice way to end it. I agree. Three stars for me as well. The thing, I the, when, when I first started reading, well, when I heard what, when Evan said kind of what the book was about, when I saw what the book was about, I thought it would be different. I thought it would be a book about... Um, you know, I expected the AIs and the humans to not, you know, fire to fight or whatever, but I didn't expect that. I expected 
I, I, it was just different than I expected. It was a whole different book than I expected. I, I guess I expected the humans and the AIs to like have this big battle or something, and and one of them to win. And I, I don't know. I did not expect this. Um, like I said, the whole thing with Crystal was just plain scary. Um, this kind of reminded me of a, another book uh, where, you know, what could happen if you get two smarter machines and stuff like that. Um, because these machines, of course, had no feelings, so they couldn't be sympathetic. Whatever they wanted to do, they did. The only reason, excuse me, the only reason they had, uh, the ones who kind of had feelings, if you were, were, were the new kids on the block, and that was Crystal and Jason and Yee, but they were even, you know, their compassion was t- kind of being taken away as they grew or they became, if you will. So it was an, I like Mary's uh, deal where she said it was more of a study. I, I can agree with that. There was kind of a story within a study, but I agree with that. It, it was kind of looking at both sides to see who would react how, and it really, you know, showed how humans would react, which... You know, some would agree, some would not. Uh, I didn't like the fact that, that they were like, oh, you have to do this. or, And then I really wish that they would have explained more in detail about the drink that um, Crystal and Yi and Jason and the rest of the um, people there drank. I mean, what was it? What was in it? You know, I know what it did. It basically killed them. But more detail would have been, I, I don't know, I guess... It wasn't hard enough SF for you. I know that, Evan, and it wasn't quite hard enough for me either because I want details. I want what's in this drink. How did you do this, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I thought the author hadn't really done much research into how some these sorts of conversions could happen, and it showed in the lack of detail. You know, don't just say give him an injection, give him a drink, tell us we're not, we're not stupid you know this is not the 1930s um this is the 21st century and we would like to know things like this also at the end i predicted before she even got to it that jason and ye and crystal and catherine had all been copied to backup and as they emerged, I knew that this was going to be a backup. And, yeah, this is kind of how they could continue at least their personalities. But that, to me, was kind of contrived because, you know, any time you think of an AI or any kind of computer something, and at least people that have used computers for any length of time at all would think of backups if something goes wrong. And so, to me, that was very predictable. And that just kind of spoiled the ending for me. So, I don't know. Looks like none of us was really very thrilled with this book. Well, keep in mind that this isn't only the first half. There is a second book. Um, it's not published yet, but this is, even though it didn't end on a cliffhanger, and it looks, you know, like a pretty decent ending, well, um, I mean, in terms of resolution, it is not the end of the story. It's the Glittering Edge book one, if you look at the bookshare title. Um, so, um, but it was really soft. I know Lissy mentioned that even before I, I did. It's very soft science fiction. Um, 
And, you know, they she didn't make the, the machines as sympathetic as she could have. And that's what I was expecting, was a different story where there would be, you know, xenophobia on both sides, perhaps, but there wouldn't be this us and them where, you know, it looked like the machines were really, you know, more powerful but less, you know, they, they didn't have feelings, as, as Leela said. But to give her some points, she did restore the balance slightly by making the Shining Revolution so bad. So she, she you know, she gave the, the robots a bad scene early on when they were killing the passengers. But then she, um, you know, when she made the, you know, the people in the Shining Revolution were crude and, you know, and violent and so on. So she, she kind of balanced the scales there, I suppose, a little bit. But still, I... It was a disappointing book to me, really. I mean, three stars, I'm being kind of generous, probably. But um, but as, as Lissy said, you know, we weren't bored. But And I liked the ending because it was true that it was predictable to some extent that they would have backups, but the next didn't have to, did, wouldn't have had to bring those backups. I mean, I think it was kind of a gesture, at least of, and I'm, maybe I'm naive or something, but I think that it was a nice gesture to bring them the family back together again. Um, yes, Lissy's here. She was busy, but she's here now. She wants to talk about the book, too. Go ahead, sweetie. Yes, it was a nice gesture at the end, but I forget which characters um, speculated whether or not bringing the family back together was a political gesture because that yeah. seems like a... They certainly didn't have that sensitivity when they were killing off the children and ripping them out of um, their guardian's arms. and Yeah, that mother. And then I have a... Oh, she, it wasn't even her kids I, in one case. Right, that's right. But um, I, I, something I never understood was they seemed to say that they were seeking light. And I'm thinking if they have... If they're that advanced in their technology... Aren't there lots of stars with light out and there? Well, and they're mortal, too. That was a, that's another point. They're immortal. I mean, they're, they're, how many jailing gyms have got, you know, he can live forever in a, in a different body no, no matter what. So, I mean, yeah, she's right. They could go to other star systems. So I was just wondering why, why did they, they acted like they had been sent away and that they had no access to light anywhere except where they came from. Um, I'm not sure what the situation with Earth was, but um, also the fact that it seemed that the one planet where Charlie came from... Lim. Yeah, Lim was the only place where you could see a sky and a, a horizon that everyone was living, um, you know, in these these modules out in space. It just sounded as if... The, the only planets that were mentioned were used for mining. I don't know. Yeah. It, it just seemed like if the universe is that big, there would have been more planets and more lights. And <laughs> Yeah, um, I, okay, I, I'm going to get off here, but that's one other thing that I bothered me. We did got very little historical background. We got bare bones, almost nothing about what happened, how they got to Earth, or how they got from Earth. I know there's previous books, but she could have, you know, given us a little, you know, it wouldn't have had to be a big info dump. She could have put it in in different places. You know, things weren't very well fleshed out 
in my view. Now, maybe the second half of the book will, or the story will do some of that, but if it's written like the first one, it's not going to do it. So, anyway. Well, and I think I found an inconsistency, or in something, you guys can fix my word. How, I understand how they got the back of, a, of Crystal, I got that. But, okay, how do we get a back of Catherine, when, if you remember correctly... Um, they said, because when they were first converted, if you will, um, Crystal and her family got together. Well, they brought Catherine in, and she just kind of sat there. And when they tried to go and touch her, she screamed. And so they left him in the room for however long, because you don't know how long it is with with, uh, human robots or whatever, soul bots. I don't quite like that name either, by the way. Um... But, you know, they then said, well, they, they took him away and they separated him. Then they got him all together and they're like, well, where's Catherine? And they said she failed. Okay, so, and then, let's go back even before that. You have Crystal asking where her family is. And, and you know, they said they're okay. And I thought they said you guys are the only family that made it or something like that. Everybody else failed or something. How do you have backups if somebody fails? I I get the gift of Crystal. I mean, you, that that makes sense. But I did not expect Catherine. How did you, how because then even in the backup it says Crystal the backup is thinking, yeah, her Catherine almost failed. Okay, well, why? Again, I guess I'm going into you need to give more details. And you're right, Evan, as you said. They could have given more history of the planets and of the. Oh, I love Lyme. I live. I think I want to live there. But they could have given. She could have given more history. Yeah, I know there's more books. Yeah, but who doesn't. What author, even to a, a fault, if you will, doesn't give a little bit more detail, even though they're in the fifth or sixth book. I mean, they always give a little history. This one did not give much detail. I will agree with Martin. The characters were very well drawn. I like Charlie. I like Nona. She was a little dippy, but yeah. Um, the, the, the characters were, were well drawn. Well, I think with I got confused with the whole Catherine thing too. But the way I took it, the way it happened is they back up the human brain as they're killing it, and then they restore that into the human. And when they did that, it failed. But they still had the backup they got when they killed her, so they just did it again until it worked. But I'm just you know the author didn't tell us that. That's just my guess. And I agree that there were a lot of things left out. I got really confused with some of these secondary characters like Gunner and Satiana. I, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right from memory here, but I never really did figure out if those were good guys or bad guys. I I think she went back and forth on that, and I never kind of figured out what happened, and I didn't care enough to reread those parts to see. One thing I thought interesting about the AIs, um, Evan has mentioned a couple of times how bad they were, and they were. But yet, as individuals, the Jay Lynn character and some, even some of the more robotic characters were not that hateful one-on-one. It's just as a group, they did this awful stuff. And I'm guessing, and again, it's a guess, 
that we'll find that they have their factions that want to destroy versus their factions that want to cooperate, just like the humans do. And those, you know, factions that wanted to destroy were the ones in control initially, and then wiser heads prevailed as the book went on. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, Sherry, you're probably right about how the backups were made when the people were killed. That's about the only way you could bring anybody back. If a procedure failed, they could always go back and try the procedure again or modify it. Also, if you read the synopsis in the Bookshare listing, it mentions that there were problems with the AIs initially that they wanted to get closer to the planet's sun because all they were getting was just a little sip of light here and there. That wasn't even brought up in the book. It was on the cover. It was in the synopsis, which I guess came from the, the book cover itself. I don't know where they got that conclusion. It might have been from prior books in the series or something, um, you know, that were in other series that were prior to this one. But I think that it should have also been made clear that Lim was a part of a separate solar system. It wasn't Earth-modified or anything. That's what I thought it was in the beginning. Is, is this thing Earth? It doesn't sound like Earth. Then I finally figured out, since they hadn't mentioned Earth hardly at all, this must be a different solar system. And again, in the synopsis in Bookshare, that's what it mentioned, although it said the solar system. It didn't say that it was another one. So there's confusion all the way around with this thing. You kind of sit there, and your mind is trying to puzzle things out, and then all of a sudden it starts to come together, sort of. But it's just a matter of, of not enough detail, you know. We shouldn't be left hanging. If we're going to read a story like this, yes, we want to figure things out, but we would sure like some more information. I'm just curious about the whole concept of that family, with Crystal and the, the other components of the family. What, why were they a family? Why did they call them a family? They were married. They were like, you know, these sta- she did mention that the different stations didn't all have the same rules about you know, more social, moral, and they were a group legally. marriage, um, basically. Bound. They were legally, they were a group marriage. That's why they were a family. Um, and uh, apparently Catherine and Crystal met first, and then uh, the men came along. And um, so that's why they were a family. Legally, they were a family on their station, the high sweet home. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I mean... Uh, she mentions the name of the star, Adiamo, as I recall, like twice in the book, uh, and it was quite a, li- a ways before she did mention it. Um, so, you know, you, you don't really know for sure that it's not our solar system for a while. Um, but, you know, the, the forcible uploading, you know, you know, the destructive, that we already can imagine right now different, better ways of uploading that don't involve destruction of the brain or they are reversible um but um i mean she got the most dramatic drastic kind of upload that's not reversible because you're destroying the brain as you do it um and forcing people to do it i mean i it's it's pretty what's interesting is what she tried to do though was even though the humans would be like really against forcing people to do it but they they were hoping to show her that with crystal even though they forced it 
she still seemed, you know, pretty human. I mean, if you remember near the end when they had to vote on whether to allow the next in or to fight or to help them, you know, the people said that Crystal seemed pretty human, even though her mother wouldn't accept her. But, you know, two or three people said that she seemed, you know, and then, of course, she looked very human on the when they were, um, you know, when she was on the Shining Revolution ship. She was, you know, fearful and so on. So, um... It, she did leave it kind of ambiguous, but that forced uploading stuff is, you know, that's definitely a bad thing. And I, and I would have hoped, I was hoping for less, you know, I was hoping for more moral ambiguity than that. You know, if, if they had uploaded them in a different way, not killing the originals or using some other reversible method like neural replacement or something, you know, in the original brain, which can be reversed, um... You know, that would have been morally less, you know, problematic than destroying their brains layer by layer and copying them into a, you know, anyway. Um, Honey, what were, what were those people called that lived by themselves on limb? Rangers. Oh, um, I wanted to mention that I really liked the Rangers, and I was very disappointed that the Rangers were outcasts because if they were trying to go, and go back to nature, that's exactly what the Rangers were doing. And of all the people on Lim, they seem to appreciate, utilize, and admire the environment the most. You know, their art forms and things. And then that's another thing that the um, necks were killing all those rangers or whatever. They were very ambiguous because, you know, one minute they're kind of, you mean the gleaners? The gleaners. Yeah, they were killing the gleaners. Right. And the, the gleaners were actually, of all the different groups of people that we met, I liked the gleaners just about the most. And I couldn't understand why they were outcast and and not appreciated because, because of, I mentioned the values that they had. I And I meant the gleaners, not the rangers, that the gleaners actually lived in nature and didn't use a, lo a lot of technology they and they admired it they used it in their artwork and they were just super <laughs> oh one more thing i know we're piling on here but um i mentioned this to lissa when we were reading it i thought it was really implausible that nona would be so enthralled with a planet having never been on one having brought up on a space station she loved the sky and the wind and she was slightly disconcerted at first, but she fell in love with it almost instantly. That doesn't seem very plausible at all to me. Um, that's a good point, and I just noticed it when you mentioned it. I want to go back, though, and talk a little bit about, you're talking about how you thought that the mechs were so characterized as evil, but if you think about it from the mech perspective, what is a human being but something that is alien? And not necessarily, uh, I would think that in a mechanistic culture, what would happen is that if something was not functioning properly, you shut it off. Or if it was not useful, you shut it off. And so to them, perhaps killing somebody was not really a big deal. Now, that doesn't really work well with human beings, but from the from their perspective, that may not, I mean, I can, I can see an argument why that might not be a bad choice. And these are not robots that have been 
um, schooled in the 30 laws of robotics as Isaac Asimov. So um, it's kind of like maybe part of this is a study in what happens with um, artificial intelligence if there is not something like the three ro- the laws of robotics. That's an interesting concept, and maybe that's part of what she's exploring here. Uh, the only problem with that is that the, it says in there, and, and uh, at, at some point, that these were former human beings. These are not completely alien, you know, they weren't made from scratch AIs. These were uploaded human beings. Um, Jahaling Jim was you know, a, a former human being. So um, uh, they haven't completely forgotten their origins. So it, it doesn't seem as likely that they would be such, they have such an alien viewpoint. And um, as far as the three laws goes, um, um, there are actually uh, Nick Brostrom in his book Superintelligence illustrates how those three laws can uh, be, uh, can go wrong. Um, um, in, uh, but anyway, uh, those aren't ironclad laws. They're subject to interpretation, and certain interpretations aren't good for humans. Um, but um, yeah, I, 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 it's a good point, but I'm not sure that their viewpoint can be that alien if they're former human beings. Um, I, I, I have to just jump in and say I disagree with Evan here. Uh, Deb, I think that's brilliant what you just said. We know as humans, it's like we're really offended, and we're what we call murder. I I love the fact that you're looking at it from a, a mechanical being's point of view, and I nominate you as our first interstellar ambassador. That is a good point because if you look at it, Evan, yes, they were human. But if you remember, they said to Crystal and the family, oh, well, as you become, you will lose more of your compassion. They didn't say those words, but basically that's what they were saying. Um, And here's another detail. I'm so sorry. I keep harping on detail. But why did they kill the Gleaners? The Gleaners are the ones that accepted him before the heat. They, um rest of the world did. As a matter of fact, the Gleaners are the one who, well, supposedly captured a jailing Jim, although I think that was maneuvered, if you will. That was just my opinion. And then he says that he lost the ability to communicate or whatever. That could have been, I don't know, a lot of things I think that, uh, such as the whole um, Crystal and Catherine thing, I do think it was political. Because it's like one minute they care, and next minute they don't. But then, then, uh, you know, somewhere in there you have one of the jailing gyms saying, oh, it's so hard to deal with you guys as humans when you first become robots because you're so slow. So, you know, it, it, it yeah. Um, I think Deb has a very good point because, like I was saying, once you quote-unquote become, you kind of lose your humanity if you will and I think that may have to do and I'm just thinking as I speak with the training that they get we then again there's my favorite word you guys are gonna hate this word she doesn't go into detail about how they're trained she doesn't go into detail about what 
they talk about when Jailing Jim is talking to them while they're talking with the humans. So it's a lot, there's a lot that's left out. And I also agree with, I think it was Sherry, who said, I didn't know which side Gunner and Satiana were on either. At first I thought uh, Satiana was good, but she was working with Gunner, and I thought Gunner was bad, and I don't know. That was confusing to me as well. Well, well, um, another, I agree. I think, you know, a lot of people complain about long books. I tend to like long books, and this book could have been a few hours longer and filled in some of these details. Um, the the Max did have a choice whether to destroy people or force them to convert, which ultimately the threat was, you know, you can convert to us and we're the better people. But they chose, I, I think if they had not shown an overwhelming show of force, the humans would have been more likely to fight them because the humans are the ones that isolated them and kicked them out there in the first place. So the humans came into the deal thinking these these AIs were inferior. Otherwise, how would they have been able to kick them out to the edge of the universe? They were able to do that somehow, which, of course, isn't explained. Lack of detail, like Leela says. But the fact that the humans kicked them out there, I think the AIs felt that they had to show an incredibly strong force or the humans just would have assumed they were the same way they were when they kicked them out. And as far as killing the gleaners, I agree. That just seems like a flaw in the narrative. There doesn't seem to be any logical reason to do that. They weren't making a point. They didn't need to do that to have their presence there on the planet. It just didn't seem necessary. I think just the fact that the AIs came in so forcefully with so many of them and just killing, killing, killing humans when they first came in shows that there were... AIs who had been AIs for such a long time that they had essentially lost any sort of mercy that they might have had if they'd had parts of their humanity left. So I I agree with you guys on that one. I think that, sure, you had humanity when you converted, but then as time went on, and apparently a lot of time had gone on, although we don't really know quite how long all of this happened before the the story started that there were AIs out there who really had forgotten anything about humanity and just had absorbed the AI culture as it was so that to me is kind of evidence that that uh, you know Deb's point and other things that people have said just added up in my head so wrong or right whatever that's kind of the way I saw it well, I have a question. Um, were the original mechs actually just AIs not having been up, you know, not uploaded or downloaded humans, or were they actually were they actually already in that state? That wasn't clear to me. It appeared to me that at that point the people that were well, the the aliens were actually completely robotic. Yeah, the well, as far as we know, and here we go with the lack of detail again, but the, the only thing we have to go on is what Jailing Jim said, and they, he was an uploaded human long ago. That's all we know. Um, but, you know, Mary and Leela and Deb, you're, um, he's probably forgotten some things, but supposedly their memories are better than humans, so I'm not sure... 
how convincing the forgetfulness idea is either. Um, um, I, I yeah, I, I I just I don't know. Um, go ahead, sweetie. Um, I my my question is, and I may have missed this and and you know not remembered, but um, is what was the Met culture like? What it all I remember is that they went around mining so they could make more of themselves, but I really didn't get a sense of what the and they were seeking light, which seems like they would be trying to develop space travel then instead of just increasing their numbers. I just didn't quite understand what the goals of their culture was. Well, and as, well, and as advanced as they were, they could have had fusion power. That would have given them all the light they needed. They wouldn't have had to come into the sun. Um, <laughs> you know, they could have had fusion power all, you know, through space. Anyway, um, it, it's just, you know, the book is so soft that, you know, you don't get any of this stuff. But there is another book eventually coming, presumably, and who knows, you know, whether we're going to get more background in that. Um, but this one, I just... Making the next look more like humans by saying that, well, they've forgotten what it's like to be human, that's why they're killing people, is doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't make sense. Debbie. I know she explained it, but I still don't get it, because it just makes them just look like bad humans. It doesn't make them look like, you know, because, you know, we've seen that all through history. You no, it makes them look like practical It machines. makes them look, no, I don't think so. It makes them look like bad humans. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's our position, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> well, Evan, this, I think it was you who picked this book. It really wasn't the best of books, but look how much discussion it created so for that it was cool and on that note martin do you have anything to say oh i got i have a book to recommend for our next book at least i'm going to ask about it but when we finish when we completely finish this thing um as i say i i enjoy the book pretty much i i maybe i'm not as discerning as you people are but i, I didn't pick up all those flaws I, I i thought it was pretty interesting and you know it was an enjoyable read for me well, I think for me generally my issue is just a lack of research on the author's part. There's too much stuff that either she didn't dig into enough to get any current scientific information about it. It kind of reminds me of those books about the um, end of the world where somebody says, oh, there was something in the atmosphere that affected electricity, so all the power went out and that was it. Well, that doesn't explain anything at all. Yeah, <laughs> there are too many books out there that are like this, and um, I guess people can accept it if that's the kind of, of book that attracts them and they accept the, the idea of, oh, it was something in the atmosphere. But at the same time, people who like to dig can read that type of book and, and the, the lack of digging shows up right away. So... You know, that's that's just my view. I think she just did not do enough research. And therefore, there are gaps in the book, and she left them there because she herself didn't know how to fill them in. Um, that, to me, was a major flaw. So 
you know, there are other things that everybody's brought up that have been really good ideas, but that one, just to me, that was what stuck out. Well, this will amuse you then. I guess you didn't read the uh, about the author section at the end where it says she's a futurist. So uh, not doing research doesn't make a lot of sense. Or else she's not a very good futurist. I don't know which, but anyway. Well, what is a futurist? I don't know what she does exactly, but um, but that's uh, interesting. Um, so. Well, how do you uh, qualify for a futurist? I guess that's really kind of uh, a little bit of an ambiguous title. Yeah, right. Anybody can be a futurist. If I say that... Um I'm going to have implants in my brain in 2025. That would be a futurist, wouldn't it? Well, she's actually got a job. I mean, she's got a day job somewhere. She's working for some somewhere. It doesn't say where. Or, you know, another lack of detail again. <laughs> but uh, she's she's in, she's got a day job. So uh, as a futurist. So anyway, um, yeah, we probably should talk about our next book soon. If we had a theme for tonight, I think it would be detail. I agree. Let's discuss the next book. <laughs> I want to ask about a book. I don't remember how, why I downloaded it, but I'm reading a book called The Book of Strange New Things by Michelle Faber. It has to do with a preacher who goes to a, a new planet to try to to bring religion to the aliens on this planet. Has anyone heard about the author or the book itself? I did a review of it and sent it to the club a few months ago. And I said, I also recommend it today, and Je- Deb has forwarded the information plus the C.S. Lewis books to uh, somebody who was looking for Christian science fiction. I liked it, but the main reason I liked it is because I happen to be a Christian, and I liked the views of the um, minister. But the problem that clincher the book is that the earth is going bad and the minister is um, separated from his wife and it gets a little bit soap opera like in many many places and it's it's another book that could have been um, cut in half literally it's just too long but there are certain scenes that I appreciated um, but I don't know that I'd recommend it for the club there are uh, problems with it and those who do not hold uh, Christianity as their belief system or whatever you want to call it might be annoyed with the scenes of the aliens' prayers and and singing and stuff that, that might bother people. So that's why I didn't think that, you know, it would be appropriate for the club. But I could be wrong and, you know, people could just react in whatever way. But I don't know that I would recommend it to read. I understand what you're saying, but I might read it for myself. I was thinking, Evan, you I didn't get to read. Um, I read your, one of your emails. You sent two emails today. I read one, read, read one of them, and I don't know what the other one was. I have it, but I don't. I didn't get a chance to look at it. Um, but. Those short story we haven't done this in forever. I don't. I can't remember when we did this last, but we haven't read a short stories um, thing for a long time. And I'm thinking that maybe we could read this book. I don't. You can talk more about it, Evan, because I 
I can't remember exactly about it, but I know that uh, it had a couple of authors that I recognized. Well, I think we've done short stories at least three times since I've been part of this group. And I don't particularly care for short stories. That doesn't mean I won't read it, but that's not my favorite um, medium by any means. And I know that's probably a very minority opinion. Yeah, it was called Upgraded. And Leela, I'm sorry. I downloaded the book, but I haven't copied it onto my book since yet, so I can't play the dust jacket info for people. But it's about cyborgs. It's got some people we know, Elizabeth Bear whom we actually have done for the club, though I don't know how big she was, uh, that book Chill that we did a few years ago that I somehow didn't read, and I have no idea still to this day how that happened. But um, Ken Liu is in it, the, the guy who wrote The Three-Body Problem, which uh, is very popular and Bard has now and Bookshare has. I proofread the Bookshare copy, um, which I... Uh, it's, it's okay, but a lot of people like it a lot more than I do. So that like, the club might want to do that. They might actually want to read it. Um, it's uh, Chinese science fiction. Uh, I don't recognize a couple of the other names, but if I saw the table of contents, there would probably be some other people I'd recognize. Um, so, but um, And I don't remember how long it is either. It's called Upgraded. Um, so uh, that was the one I was talking about. The other mail I sent was a nonfiction, so I'll, I'll let you look at that later. But it's about the world's smallest computer that actually has been built. But I'll, you can read about that later. Um, Lucy and I are reading Ramarooned in real time right now because I've been wanting to read it for, I haven't read it for many years. It's on my favorites list. And uh, we just started, we're only 25 minutes into it. It's not a very long book. It's only like eight hours and 45 minutes long. Uh, Bookshare copy isn't the greatest, but um, Bard's got a good copy, read by Bruce Hunty. Um, And um, so people may want to consider that book, or they may not, since they've read something a little far future this month. They might not want to read something far future next month, even though it's better written and a much better book, in my opinion. So uh, we'll see if anybody else has any ideas. I have upgraded on my stream if anybody wants to hear it, but I didn't catch the name of the other book. Evan, what was it? Because you were breaking up. Yeah, Evan, uh, it was something with the wound, but what, what is that about? Oh, oh, that was Marooned in Real Time. That's uh, Werner Vinge's book that's on my favorites list, Marooned in Real Time. It's, about, uh, it's a murder mystery set 50 million years in the future uh, when human civilization, they're trying to resurrect human civilization um, and uh, it involves little devices called baubles that are like stasis fields, and when you come out, you know, no time has passed. And um, so these people with a lot of high tech have gathered as many people as they can throughout the eons to restart human civilization. But there's a murderer afoot, and there's a police detective there who wants to solve the murder, but he uh, obviously is going to have problems because... Well, I can't spoil it too much. But anyway, it's a murder mystery, far future, high-tech uh, book um, that was a Hugo finalist or Hugo winner, I forget uh, which. But anyway, um, that we're reading that right now. It's not very long. But um, if you guys want to listen to Upgraded and see what you think about it, we can play that. And if anybody else has any other ideas, we can check them out also. 
I've got marooned in real time on my stream also. I've been trying to read that. So I would actually vote for that one because it's Bernard Vinge, if I remember correctly, is the author. When was the marooned in real time, uh, if that's what it's called, copyright? Just curious. And, yeah, I, I like, we've done some Bernard Vinge, and I think we all like that. I can second that, unless anybody has an idea. Another? It's copyright 1986. It was actually an analog. The, the version actually I remember reading was an analog read by Merwin Smith. But Bruce Hunt, he's, he's uh, doing a good job with it. So, um, as I said, the bookshare copy needs redone. I just, I just can't get to everything I want to get to. I've just started a massive nonfiction book scan today uh, that I want to read, but it's going to take me a long time to get it done. Um, but, um, yeah, if anybody has any other ideas um we've done two Werner Vinge books before so that might mitigate against or militate against doing him because there are other authors we haven't done any of um but um it's not a very long book it's exciting and imaginative and all kinds of good things like that but if other but uh if other people have other ideas we should get them in here I just wanted to mention another book that I have on my stream, which I haven't read yet. It's a series of stories called Endangered, Endangered Species. Have anyone, has anyone heard of that group of stories? Is that Gene Wolfe? Yes, it is. Well, you know, I like Gene Wolfe, uh, some of his stuff. But, you know, the problem I have with Gene Wolfe is, and I read a short story collection of his, and I actually don't even remember what it was, but... A lot of times when I read him, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but a lot of times when I read him, I feel like I'm taking a quiz and failing. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that feeling when you read a, a certain author, but he just gives me this feeling sometimes. Like, I don't know what he's talking about sometimes. It's not like hard science or hard, you know, it's just, I don't understand him a lot of times. Now, I read the book of the New Sun, and I read that twice, and I, they're novels, so I could miss some things you know, and not worry about it too much because I got the story mostly. But short stories are harder. They're, you know, you can't miss much and get it. Um, so I, I admire Wolf. I respect him greatly, but I just have trouble, especially with his shorter work, I just have trouble getting it. I have trouble with him, period. <laughs> I gave up. I tried to read the Book of the New Sun. After two hours, I just gave up, and I fell asleep every time I tried to start it. And I, I think I even tried to read some of the short stories. and he, I just don't, don't understand his language or something. I just can't connect with him. So I, I have a similar situation with uh, Evan. I agree with you on that one. If Mary and Evan don't understand it, we're all in trouble. At least I am because I have not read that author. I don't, I'm not familiar with him at all, Martin, but... Uh... I don't know. I, I, I'm almost tempted to read it on my own just to say, hey, I did this, and oh, I agree, or oh, I disagree. You know, the synopsis of the story, I don't know if he's if they're all written by him or if he's edited them, but they, they sound like they had to do with different different alien species and things like that. And just reading the synopsis, you know, from from Bard, it, it, they sounded interesting, but I haven't as read, you know, as yet read them, and it's a, that difficult. <laughs> I don't know if I will. Well, if it's something he edited that's written by different authors, see, I don't know. Uh, I remember the name of the book, and I remember his name being associated with it, but if it's not a short story collection by all by him, that might be a different kettle of fish altogether. But um, if he wrote them, I think I'll 
stay away from them because I just I'm not going to get much out of them. But if it was just something he edited that you know is by other authors, those might be interesting. I do have a, a suggestion, and I think that people would like it. It's another um, Peter F. Hamilton, and it's called Ooh. Let's see. I'm going to get the title wrong, but I know my friend Evan knows the name of it. I just read it. It's I think it's called The Abyss of Dreams, and uh, it's a trilogy. I think it's the first book in a trilogy. It's a great book. I could not put this book down. It was really, really good. Of course, we read plenty of Peter Hamilton. This book I liked, because the other books I didn't like a the only thing I didn't like about Peter Hamilton, which I've said before, is his explicit sexual thing. But this one is quite different. Um, it's a good book. It's a really good book. Well, he's mellowed a bit if Sherry's any guide, uh, because apparently in the uh, Dawn, Night's Dawn trilogy, it was even worse. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's The Abyss Beyond Dreams, and it's uh, the first book of a duology, like our Glittering Edge book that we just finished. But it's going to be long, uh, and I would absolutely love to read it. Um, we've done quite a bit of him before, which is one of those things that, you know, there are authors we haven't done anything from, uh, quite a few probably. But um, but I would, you know, I want to read it for sure. It's been it's been out for eleven months now, and I haven't gotten around to it yet. And I'm feeling kind of embarrassed about that too. Gee, I'm just getting embarrassed tonight about stuff. But uh, I really want to get to it in, in the near future. Sherry was going to download it. I don't know if you ever did, but you said I uh, seem to recall you said you were going to download it. I don't know if you ever got to it. Yeah, I've got it downloaded on my stream, so I'd be up for reading that. And I also think the Marooned in Real Time sounds good, too, so I would be up for either one of those. Well, we have four weeks this year, this month, but we have five weeks in October, from October 8th to November 12th, to read a longer book. So uh, Marooned in Real Time is quite short. It's below nine hours on Bard. Uh, but Peter F. Hamilton, I don't know what he is, because Bart isn't even working on this one, I don't think. They've done quite a bit of him, but this one is uh, publisher quality on Bookshare, but it's quite long, as you can expect. Um, we could do that one next month when we have an extra week, or, I mean, if you guys want to do it this month, that's fine, but it will be a, a little bit more of a job to get it in for some people, perhaps. I know if I, Lissy and I read it together, it might be a little bit of a, um, a job for us to get it all in, because I'll be reading it to her. Uh, so, but it's up to you guys what you guys want to do. I vote for Marooned Off Real Time because I've got a lot of other stuff that I'm reading. My card is 16 gig, and I've only got about one gig left. <laughs> so I have a big backlog of stuff that I'm trying to go through. So it's a matter of time for reading um, and trying to get a lot of other things read that I've been putting off. So... That's my vote. I vote for Marooned in Time this month and The Abyss Beyond Dreams next. I would go with Leela. Um, I think that the, if there are people that are constrained for time this time, we probably do need to read something short. 
but and I've never read any Werner Vinci, so I'm looking forward to hearing what it's like. That sounds good to me too. Okay, uh, sounds great. But I got my dates wrong for next month. Um, next month is um, no is October eighth, and then the month after that would be November twelfth. I I don't know what I said last time, but anyway, maybe I did get it right last time. I guess I'm getting tired. Uh, all right, then we will do Marooned in Real Time by Werner Vinge for our next meeting on October 8th, 2015. And uh, then we'll do The Abyss Beyond Dreams for October. And we're getting into some harder SF here after that little softy we read this month. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, I will put it in the newswire, and um, I really, really would like to redo the Bookshare version because they've got a character named Della, in there. Della Lou is her name. She was in the Peace War, actually, which this is a sequel to, but don't worry about it. Um, really, it's not... A, the, there's only one character that crosses over, and her name's Della, but the Bookshare version has her as Delia, all through. D-E-L-I-A, instead of D-E-L-L-A. That's kind of embarrassing. Here I go with the embarrassment again. I gotta get out of here. <laughs>